1: Hi, I'm your host, Alan Cowley. And on this week's Invest Investor Podcast, I'm delighted to have Ferdows Nagri join me. Ferdows is the CEO of FCI London. Alongside founding a number of businesses, he is an angel investor too. FCI was founded over 18 years ago and has successfully grown into a multi award winning interiors and lifestyle house with offices in the UK, UAE, Nigeria, and India. So before we hear how and why you have become a serial entrepreneur, let's just start a little bit from the beginning and the background. Do you have an entrepreneurial family? What has been the drive here? Um,
0: right. I, uh, I grew up in India. So I was born in India, in uh, Bombay, uh, to a kind of a middle-class family. My dad definitely was entrepreneurial. He had a uh, furniture business in India. We, when I was seven, moved to New York because he wanted to have uh, the education system in the, in the Indian system, the education in India, rather, um, at that time was not fantastic. So he wanted to provide uh, Western education for me. So we moved to the States and he tried to set up a business there, which didn't work out. Moved back to India. And my younger brother was born. And as soon as he was born, we then moved to the UK again with the the idea that he wanted to offer us the best possible education, which at that time wasn't available in India. So we grew up um, in a very cellular, small kind of uh, environment uh, compared to what you would have grown up in, or I would have grown up in uh, had I been in, in India with lots of um, family. So growing up in a very small family unit, and my parents were constantly working. So they set up a business um, in the UK, furniture business. And they were working all the time. And so I saw it. So I saw that entrepreneurial, that hard work from day one. And I lived it. And uh, I mean, obviously, I wish that I had more time when I was younger with my parents and that they'd been around a bit more, especially with my dad. But uh, I learned that, that if you want to succeed in life, you know, um, hard work is, is a prerequisite. Yeah. So, and I've always attracted maybe because of that. I've always been attracted to people who work hard. Uh, always been attracted to people who want to to move from from their current position through through my young friendships and my school friendships, my university friendships are people that I enjoy
1: being around. Have always been people who you know do like to graft and and grow. So your um, your parents obviously had a um, furniture business. So where's the origin of FCI here? The connection. Okay, so this is,
0: this is kind of a, a long, short story. Um, I was at Accenture uh, and uh, I was working... At the time, I, I was actually working in the UK, but I was traveling and working at Accenture for a number of years doing strategy consultancy. My parents had uh, a furniture business, uh, which they set up in 1985 called Furniture Craft. Um, and after doing a number of years at Accenture... I joined the the family business to help uh, the business and to help it grow and to help it evolve, and I saw lots of opportunity uh, within the business. They were they were running a mom and pop shop, um, um, and they were enjoying it. And they you know they put put my, my myself and my brother through school, and they worked very hard. I mean, they worked seven days a week for 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 many many years, um, more years than I than I remember. And I joined the business to uh, to grow it. And so that, that didn't work out exactly how we planned and we hoped. Um, and an opportunity presented itself for, for us to, to, to buy a freehold uh, not far away from here. And that's when there was a, there was a split, basically, between Furniture Craft and an FCI. And that's when FCI was kind of born. And I think... In hindsight, if I'm honest with myself, I handled that situation very badly. Uh, I think that I was young and I wasn't kind of getting, I was working for my father. Essentially, I wasn't a partner in the business. I was working for my father. And I had my own views on rapid growth, aggressive growth, going up the food chain in terms of the types of brands and and a a whole bunch of other stuff that I wanted to do that I felt um, I couldn't do. And so when this opportunity presented itself to buy this freehold and and set set up a new business exactly the way I would want to have wanted to do it, I kind of jumped ship uh, and did that. And I think the way that that was done in hindsight was was not the correct way uh, to do it. And I think it caused it. Well, I know it caused a lot of hurt um, and pain within the family because I actually set up uh, FCI, the, the, the new showroom, with my current business partner who's my uncle who's my mum's brother and um and it was it was a difficult time because for a period my parents were left almost feeling like we were competing with them um and it wasn't until a couple of years later when we when we merged the, the the two businesses together and allowed my parents to retire that that hurt you know kind of started to go away um so from a from a you know, if I were to do things again, uh, in terms of that would be the, the most important thing that I would change. Uh, how I manage that whole period of my life. Um, I don't know how I would exactly change it, um, because I, I had to leave. We had to set up the separate entity. We had to to do certain things. I think I would, I would treat my parents almost as I treat my children now, with with a different type of care and affection rather than, you know, when you're growing up, your parents are the ones that have to deliver everything for you. Like they're the ones that, that, that they're there to serve you basically, right? That's, that's what my parents always did for me. They always looked after me and always gave me everything. And, and, and I kind of expected that in a business scenario, which was kind of immature really. So I would change that and I would, I would treat them with a completely different um, care and attention uh, and um, understand A lot better from their perspective,
1: how they were feeling, rather than just running off to set up this new exciting business. That's um, hugely um, open comment to say, and I I think that's good for anyone to to look back on anything, not not have any regrets, but just look back and understand how you would have done it differently, and and and, you know learn from it. I guess. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the the I'm I'm a very different person,
0: obviously today than I was in my early 20s when all this happened. Um, and I'm probably actually a very different, per- not probably, I am a very different person today than I was probably three or four years ago, or maybe even less. And there's a variety of things that have contributed to that, that I'm sure we'll get to. Well,
1: the let's, let's, let's talk about them now. What 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 have been the changes over the last two to three years? Um, hmm. So... I read a book by Tim Ferriss. My, my,
0: my brother gifted me a book uh, by Tim Ferriss called Tools, uh, Tools of Titans. And I read the book. And the book is about um, a number of... Tim Ferriss interviews a number of people who are at the top of their game from professional weightlifters to journalists to investment bankers, actors, singers, you name it. And he interviews these hugely successful people who are at the top of their game in their field and kind of asks them, what is the, what's the source, right? What's the secret of your success? What's your morning routine? What's, what's the thing that makes you so good? And each person has their own story and each person has their own uh, formula, which they very openly share. But there was one thing that was repeated through almost every one of these people who were interviewed, which was meditation, uh, and they all did some form of meditation daily, and <clears throat> I just you know have never thought of meditation as something that I would do like it's it 's fine if it if it works for you lefty tree hugging hippie whatever, <laughs> but just not not something that would really make sense for me, um, but so many people and people who were alphas were, were doing it, not just you know women or or poets. And so I said okay let's let's try this thing and I started with a, a an app and I was doing it diligently every day 3 minutes 5 minutes 3 minutes 5 minutes three, and nothing was happening and it was sitting on a toilet in a hotel room in China when I did my mandatory 5 minute kind of you know part of my morning routine and something clicked And I realized that I'd been doing it for 20 minutes and I just thought I'd just been doing it for, you know, the the, the mandatory kind of five minutes. And something clicked and I felt like super refreshed and super calm and just happy for no particular reason. And I was like, ah, okay, that was like a big eureka moment for me um, because it not only made me feel good, but it made me realize that you know, it, it will work for me. It does work for me. And also at some subconscious level, I, I know it now because I think about that time, that, that period a lot. It also opened up the idea that things that are, everything is possible and things that other people do that I think, oh, that's not for me or that, that, that might not work for me. Actually, all of it, if one person on the planet has done something or can do it, then I can do it and I can benefit from it. And even if they haven't, I I, I can still do it. Uh, and it really was kind of a turning point for me. And I just started then from that point on devouring stuff about personal development, about spirituality, about business techniques, about stuff that previously I said, well, if it's not to do with my industry or it's not something that I I'm immediately instantly interested in, I just wasn't reading enough. You know, I wasn't reading uh, the volume of books that I read now. Um, so that the meditation is what kind of changed and has led to, to many different decisions that have benefited me and my family and the, the various businesses and have have multiplied or, or speeded up the entrepreneurial, uh, the investment side of things, I would say, as well. So there's lo- a lot more investment and a lot more focused investment and different type of investment. Do you still meditate today? Every day. Every day. Every day. I now have have graduated from the, the, the app-driven meditation to... A uh, type of meditation which is called transcendental meditation. Did a very simple course, took my wife along, took my nine year old, eight year old son along as well. And um, it just, it, it, it's something that I look forward to every day uh, and it just keeps adding value for me. Uh, and I'm a big, big kind of uh, yeah promoter of meditation.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, I, it's, it's good for entrepreneurs to hear that as well. Although entrepreneurs often say they don't have, don't time, have time for this kind of thing. Um, founders fatigue and, and, and mental strength and things like that play such a huge part in the startup journey so you know taking 3-5 minutes a day is everyone's got time for that so it, it, it's another thing you know again going back to earlier years
0: you 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 never have time you never have time and for me delegation has been a big um, solver of that um, knowing that when you delegate, when I delegate something, it won't get done exactly the way I would do it. So that was the big hurdle. Like, I know that it won't get done the way... The initial, the initial thought was, I know it won't get done correctly. And then over a period of time, that evolved to, it won't get done the way I would do it, which then actually turned out to be not necessarily the best way. So I now am very happy to delegate stuff, knowing that it won't get done the exact same way that I would want it but it might get done better. And if it doesn't get done better, it gets done differently, which still achieves the same result. But actually, it's helping somebody else grow and evolve their journey. And in having, just realize, realigning that, now when I look at my team and I look at tasks, each task is given out and packaged in a way to not just get itself done, but to be a learning for the person doing it. So it might have to be packaged in a slightly different way than were it being just given to get done. So now it's being given to get done, but also teach someone something or give somebody some confidence or give somebody a different experience or a challenge or show somebody that they shouldn't be doing this type of task, they should be doing something else. Whatever the, the second goal is of the task, aside from it, it, it getting done. And that helps me grow as a leader when I'm constantly, because it helps me learn the people that I'm surrounded by, because I have to think, okay, what is good for this person within this task, beyond getting it done, what is good for this person to learn? And that helps, and that forces me to dig into and pay more attention to that person and know where the holes are, where the strengths are. Where the strengths are. Um, and all of that has come from meditation and, and the path that that has led me down. Uh, and then from that a better diet a better lifestyle a, a different shed you know I was one of these people who dragged myself I'm a huge insomniac uh, for as long as I can remember but then through meditation and through other biohacking techniques I've kind of slowly got a handle on that um, uh, yeah so meditation for me was a big big kind of turning point
1: um let's continue with um, FCI yeah um, so uh, give us a quick brief of what FCI is and then can you just tell us the kind of stresses running um, I'm presuming a predominantly B2C business what are those stresses? Um, So the biggest stress uh, I'd say with B2C
0: is you are is customer acquisition you are constantly especially where we are um, which is high end luxury and it is not a frequent purchase so you buy a sofa and then we don't see you again for 10 years so that, that continual um, constant acquisition and finding new methods of acquisition and creating cost-effective methods of acquisition is, is really a, a big stress, um, especially when you're dealing with a highly educated, well-traveled, high-end, intelligent audience and a niche audience and a small audience. So th- that, that's, um, that's one of the main things. And we are over the over the last four years we're actually evolving the business and we're growing our B2B um, and focusing on B2B quite a lot and we're finding that that's becoming quite an interesting um, revenue stream, although the margins are different. Uh, it is a separate business actually in many respects, and it, it involves a different approach, different different team uh, different training and actually different products as well, although there is obviously an overlap in products uh, but a different but different product range. Uh, we're finding that that actually is probably the direction, or it is the direction we're going to grow, uh, grow in in,
1: to, in order to scale the business further. Okay, and uh, so that's the reason why, for scaling, or is it ease of cost customer acquisition? Ease of customer acquisition,
0: we are very good at service, so we realised uh, uh, some, some time ago that, that we're very, very good at service, and rather than giving an exceptionally high level of service to somebody who's not going to come back for 10 years... Without much effort, without will, with no effort, because we're already doing it, we give the same level of ex- exceptionally high customer service to somebody who actually has to come back because they're an interior designer, or they're a property developer, or they're an architect. So why waste that goodwill that we're creating, that sunshine that we put on the client? Okay, they'll tell a few people about us, and they will come back if they need something extra, but really, it's... Every ten years. Yeah. So when we when we did one of our brainstorming sessions and we were like, okay, this is what we're really really good. At. You know, we started off with, well, what are we good at? Uh, we have lovely furniture. We have great. So did lots of people. Uh, what else are we good at? And we kind of drilled it down and drilled it down and drilled it down. And then we realised that actually, at customer. Everybody says they're good at customer service, but we genuinely are very good at customer service because we own all the necessary moving parts in-house so from the installers the fitters the the vans the warehousing the the admin yeah it's all in-house none of it is subcontracted out and this is not you know this is not rocket science really but in the luxury sector that's definitely something that we have won a lot of points on not subcontracting out that last touch with the client uh, when we've used subcontractors in the past, which we which we did use to do, which which worked out to be more cost effective, we lost that control and actually lost control of our one of our brand USPs, which is the customer service. Okay. So, in 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 any business, you want to give exceptional customer service. Um, in some businesses, I think you need to own that last touch
1: experience uh, with, that you have with the client. How do you control that for your overseas officers or are they franchised out? So um, the
0: Nigeria, they're not franchised out. Um, we're looking at franchise models at the moment, uh, which would be a slightly different. It wouldn't be FCI the way it is now. Um, but they are are employees. There are employees. The business models are slightly different. So, for example, the Nigeria um, showroom that we have, it's by appointment only, and it's not retail showroom. It's only high-end projects, so we only do project work. So if you have a villa or a house or a building and you want the whole thing done, then we will do it. Um, And um, that's a similar thing in the UAE, which is more of a design office rather than a showroom. So it's project by project, and same thing for India. So it's not not, uh, quite the same uh, as this. And we adapt. All these um, uh, expansions have been opportunistic where an opportunity has become available and it's been low risk and potential high reward. So
1: that's how we've done it. But how do you control the, um, the level of great customer service that you do here overseas? So because they're projects, um, they're, there's a beginning, a
0: middle and an end. So we will send the container from here. The container will be managed over here. Uh, The containers will go across and then we will send teams, using Nigeria as an example, we will send teams from here to oversee the installations of whatever we're installing and we'll have local
1: people who will be managed by our UK teams. So alongside SCI, you've also become a serial entrepreneur with a few other ventures. So can you just tell us a bit about those and why you've set them up along along the way? Uh,
0: If I'm very honest, most of the... The previous ventures have been either opportunistic, or born out of boredom, uh, or, well, not all, and uh, born out of wanting to make some money. Really, so um, I, I, I like making money. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not scared to say that. Um, I think f- what I'm doing now, moving forward, and how I'm looking at my life money will not be the main reason for, for starting a new venture. It will be to solve a problem, whatever that problem might be. We, we started um, Cavendish Banqueting, which is one of our older ventures. We, opportunistically, we uh, had a commercial, <clears throat> a commercial space that we owned. And we were, upon researching what to do with it, we realized that it had a certain permission, a D1 planning permission, which was very difficult to get hold of in, in that area. And it allows you to do banqueting. So we did a bit of market research and and there was a strong competitor nearby who was massively overpriced, massively oversubscribed, uh, offering a a very poor level of of service. And so we thought, well, let's take a a little slice of that. We don't need a lot of it. Um, So we started a banqueting business, which has been probably the easiest business that we've set up with the, the least amount of headache, the least amount of input. I probably spend maybe an hour a month on it. Um, and it's just on autopilot. We have a great uh, MD who runs it for us now. And I think, you know, I mean, it, 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 it does a few million pounds of turnover, but only has three staff. So that, that's, that was quite a nice one um, that we, we got involved in. Uh, there are a couple of digital startups that uh, I got involved in because, again, there was an opportunity. I saw uh, a potential in the market. One of them was parcel fly. So ParcelFly is uh, um, it's set, it's it's based in India and it's uh, an, an aggregator. So I was involved. I was part of the founding team uh, of a business which is now bust called MiniCabster. So MiniCabster came around, uh, was was born around, I guess. Ooh, let's think. I don't know. Maybe about 10, 10 or twelve years ago, something like that maybe 10 years ago, and it was a, a taxicab aggregator. So it was before Uber came into the market, and you'd go onto the website, you'd punch in where you wanted to be picked up from, where you wanted to go, and then those details would be sent to a whole bunch of local minicab operators who'd get it on their, on their dashboard. And then they would bid for the job yeah. based on where their fleet was. So obviously, if they had a cab near you, they'd bid cheaper because their pickup cost would be smaller. And you'd get a bunch of these bids come up on your screen and you'd pick the one that was most you know, appropriate either in terms of price or um, pickup time. Yeah. And that business went went, went quite well uh, until Uber came into the market and completely decimated us. But the idea of that, you know, that that code was there, the, the the business idea was there. And I thought, well, you know, this is still there's still something in it, maybe not for people, but maybe for parcels. So we built Parcel Fly. Uh, from that concept uh, and, and that was opportunistic and, and um, that was quite interesting I've always been interested in property um, I bought my first property when I was 20 uh, residential property buying and selling flipping um, renovating so that's not I guess that's more investment I would say I guess it's more investments than, than anything else Um with a fair size portfolio now um, the restaurant, which is a relatively new venture, um, obviously in, in partnership with Drew Mittal, who's an executive chef, very successful, very, very smart um, executive chef. Uh, that was born um, out of wanting to own a restaurant and have somewhere cool to, to entertain. And I guess a little bit of ego as well is in there to kind of, kind of go, oh, yeah, come to my restaurant. It's in Mayfair, you know. Um, but also as part of a bigger, more serious business plan, to To have a number of, of of different sites and to to grow the business to a certain value and then exit to yeah. sell. Um, so so I mean, as a as a high level, you know, why why do these other businesses? Why get involved in in these different businesses? Um, I would say variety, variety. I, you know, I like the variety of doing different things. I, I like putting our own spin on. On, on things, the digital media companies that we have. Again, that, that actually was, was not for money. That was for understanding how it works. I do like technology. And I love the idea when I first came across Google AdWords and PPC and the idea of how it works. And this is going back 15 years, uh, maybe more than 15 years. When I first came across the idea of being able to pinpoint a person's sat in a room effectively, like you're sat in a room looking for red shoes and I can target you and put my ad in front of you. I just love the the idea of that. So I'm Google accredited, and I'm I'm quite up to date, and I keep keep myself up to date with a lot of the courses. Not not as up to date as my team, yeah. Uh, but I've got a very good handle on it, and a very good understanding of how that works. And it it you know I enjoy it, and I think that's one of the the things that I really enjoyed about the furniture business. It wasn't the furniture per se; it was the the marketing and how to kind of get inside people's heads and put something forward at the right time at the right place that they would then come and buy it from you. So. Uh, we talked we talked briefly about Parcelfly as a as a as an online startup. And that has not become a unicorn and that has not exploded into phenomenal growth. And I don't have uh VCs beating the door down uh you know trying to to buy it. But I love that that creativity that happens, not just in the first year. The first year is like super exciting where it just Everything is flying and you've got all these ideas and you can implement everything and try out so many different things. Not implement everything, actually. That's not, that's not right. Um, but, but you've got so much possibility of where a business can go and so much potential of what you can do. You're super lean. Your overheads are low. You're not committed to 50 people and paying their you know, salaries. And, and, and just that, that, that stage is so exciting. Um, and I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be part of that and I wanted to help um, people navigate the the areas where you can really fall over, you know, where you can spend too much or not spend enough or make incorrect decisions or form incorrect partnership. I mean, there's so many, so much stuff in those first few years that can go wrong and I'm by no means an expert in navigating all of these things for all types of businesses, but I've I've made my, my mistakes, I've made my fair share of mistakes and I can kind of see shit coming around the corner that potentially you can't if you're in the business, right? So that for me was, was, re- was really exciting. And, and being part of, of those types of journeys and then being, 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 you know, obviously financially involved as well, having skin in the game, not just, um, not just to make it more exciting because obviously it's more exciting. You can act as an advisor and a, and a mentor, which I do. Um, but if you've got skin in the game, it's far more exciting. And there's, if anybody tells you it's the same, it's not. Um, and then with obviously, you know, if you've got skin in the game, with a, an upside, uh, a hope of up, upside on the other side, where you're you're in it with the founders. But but that 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 um, excitement that goes with a startup of, of being in, at that stage really, you know, um, is the, is the first attraction, um, coupled with. Um, pretending to be a smarty pants right Look, I'll tell you what to do I know it all right so come to me when you when you when you need advice or share 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 things with me so that I can tell you how wise I am and bequeath my knowledge onto you and and but it but, but it's nice to be working in different arenas different environments because again a, a lot of it is boredom right so furniture is is there's something that we do and the innovation is coming from the technology side, but from the furniture side, there's not much innovation. There's not much super exciting stuff for me being a non-designer. Yeah. For the design team, if you, if you speak with them, they, you know, they're constantly excited because we're constantly dealing with new designers and new products and new brands and all of that. That's fine. But for me, it's about having those that, that new interactions. And actually now, just talking to you that I, that I realized there's new stresses, like stress is almost like a privilege right uh, a, a stress that type of stress is almost like a privilege because i've got a problem to solve i can solve it you don't have to take my advice but actually if i'm honest the implications if you do or you don't are not massive to me financially they're more massive to you as the founder but i still get it. i still get the opportunity to be part of part of the problem solving team of a real problem so i i, I quite enjoy that
1: yeah Yeah, it sounds like a complete mix of the excitement, stress, variety, um, and and trying to help. Yeah, I mean, look,
0: trying to help is the most rewarding part of it, which is why I mentor. Um, I do, I mentor startups, I mentor um, young entrepreneurs who haven't yet even started their businesses, um, because I have this knowledge, Um, without, again, going too too lefty tree huggy um, through these last few years I've I've, I've read um, a number of different books and I've developed my spirituality so I'm not necessarily talking about God but uh, I do believe that there is something out there beyond this life um, and I know also from the charity stuff that I do I know I feel best when I'm helping other people, I, I know that I, I, that feeling of being able to add something to somebody that can save them pain and and suffering, be it you know financial or otherwise. So when I'm helping startups and and they're telling me that that it's adding value, or I'm mentoring people and they're thanking me and they're telling me um, that they're getting value from it, that, that that that's a great feeling. You know, it's 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 ego again, I guess, right?
1: Well, the, no, let's follow that on and let's just hear a little bit about entrepreneurs, organisation, and the work yep. you do there. Um, what is it and what attributes do you think of your business and personal life have helped you kind of help these entrepreneurs? So entrepreneur, the Entrepreneurs'
0: Organization, EO, uh, is a, um, it's a global organization of entrepreneurs. It's a nonprofit. I think we are now about 15,000 members. Uh, there is an, a, an entry criteria uh, to get in. You have to be doing a certain uh, revenue annual revenue you have to have a certain number of people that you employ um, and it's uh, a whole bunch of successful entrepreneurs um, who want to learn from each other who want to grow with each other who want a, uh, a safe space to be honest about their failures who want a safe space to be honest about their successes actually uh, and one of the, the the core features of entrepreneur organisation uh, of EO is um, is a thing called forum, which is generally a group of eight to ten people who are members of the organisation or peers who meet once a month in a in a meeting room, and they discuss the the previous. 30 days. So, you know, what what was the top five percent of what happened? What was the bottom five percent of what was happened, what happened to them? And they discuss their personal uh themselves, they discuss their family and and or we rather we discuss personal, family, and um business. And through that, through forum, you get a chance to truly share the top five and the bottom five of of what's been happening in your life in a way that um from, from my point of view, I haven't been able to share with my team or my business partner or even my, my family because either you don't want to burden them or you, you know they're just not going to get it uh, because it can be quite a lowly place you know sitting in, an, in, in, this, in this chair. Um, so through forum, you're speaking with people and you're sharing experiences with people who get it because they're doing the same thing. And you're tabling challenges that you have either in your personal life or your business or your family being brutally honest and, and very naked in that environment. And and these entrepreneurs are sharing their experiences, which time and time again are similar experiences, maybe not exactly the same, but similar similar emotions coming out from their experiences. And you share these experiences and you learn from these experiences. And it's an amazing, amazing format. Uh, and I, I personally have grown so much as a person uh, and as a leader by being able to take off my armor and just... Say this is how it is I've just had a really shit month because this, this, this and this went wrong yeah. and, su- and surprisingly for me and interestingly as well being able to share successes without feeling like you're boasting you know um, th- th- there's many other parts to EO there's a huge global community that you're tapped into uh, like I said there's like-minded entrepreneurs um, who you fall you, you you kind of visit any city in the world and you reach out to the local chapter and there'll be people who will meet you there'll be people who will help you with your business ideas um, if you want to enter different markets there's a whole, whole infinite amount of learning uh, EO is all about personal growth business growth um, and it's uh, structured around learning events Local learning events, keynote speakers that you just wouldn't have access to, um, and and the same for, for global events. You know, some of the people that we've had speaking and 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 teaching us are just world class, phenomenal. We had um, I was at GLC earlier on this year, and we had uh, Steve Wozniak beamed in uh, talking about his early days at Apple and what he's done since, and his relationships with Jobs and some other very notable uh, tech entrepreneurs. So. Some, some really amazing learning and and above all for me, EO has just um, just helped me grow as a person you know help me grow my business and, and learning from these other entrepreneurs their pitfalls we're talking about how to help entrepreneurs avoid pitfalls and to to help them succeed in their businesses. You were giving me some statistics earlier on how many new businesses start every year and, and how many businesses perhaps fail every year. And uh, EO is 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 great at helping you navigate um,
1: or avoid you know uh, difficult things because the sharing is very honest. Yeah. So. Well, uh, any um, any listening entrepreneurs, it's a brilliant organisation which you should get involved in if you can, and we will definitely put in the show notes to this podcast and in the recording a link to that. So that's, yeah. That's- uh, absolutely. You know, check out the website. Reach out to
0: to me if you want. No problem. I'm I'm very happy to talk about EO all day long um and uh, yeah check us out
1: okay so just one final question what excites you for the future and what 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 do you think the future holds for you wow so many things um at the
0: moment i am very interested in many many things i'm very interested in optimizing my personal performance so my um my research into biohacking continues. Uh, I'm trying all sorts of different weird and wonderful techniques to improve my memory, my productivity, my performance, my happiness, my sleep. Uh, I'm very, very focused on my kids. I've got two young kids and I'm very focused on getting them into a mindset and, and, and showing them what life is and not what the traditional schooling structure or the traditional parenting structure or the traditional societal structure says life. Life is endless unbounded possibility and I think that I just want to make sure that they get it because I've only got it recently. Um, uh, I'm super excited about FCI which uh, is, is growing um, uh, the the team are phenomenal. Uh, I love working with these people that I'm working with. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm very excited about where we're going as a business. I'm very excited about the technology platform that we're building for FCI. I'm very excited about the the growth on the 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 B two B side of the business. We've just doubled our showroom. Um, I'm excited about seeing what the world has in store for us in terms of technology. I I mention technology a lot because I I do love technology. Um, We've got, you know, so many exciting things uh, just around the corner that that I'm very, very keen to see. Um, I I think that we're gonna be living to 160, 180, 200 years very, you know, very, very soon. There's people who are working diligently to understand what is aging. You know, and it's a really interesting topic. I'm very interested um, in this area because what the researchers are saying is essentially, aging is when you your your the cells that you have in your body today were not alive, didn't exist. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, or a couple of years before that, a couple of years before that. So what happens is the 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 way DNA works and the spooling and unspooling of DNA and how it works in terms of telling your cells what they need to do, actually that spooling is what they're looking at. If you can just maintain that spooling, then your cells will carry on doing what they've done when you're in your 20s or your 30s. So looking at that actually is... is, is it, there's a huge amount of research and a huge amount of money going into that at the moment. And it's very, very, very possible that once we crack that then aging the physical aging is 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 just because of that little bit of dna your body can create cells brand new and just tell them to stay young or create cells in a different way if we can understand that spooling but what happens is after our 40s um the body kind of says well we've we've done the bit that we're supposed to do which is procreate and now let's wind down and let you know, the next generation take over. But, of course, humans don't need to do that because we can create resources to keep ourselves going. And there is a, a reason to keep going beyond procreation. So, anyway, th- that's what I'm very, very excited about. Uh, I'm excited about um, jet boots, personal <laughs> flight. Um, I'm excited about um, all, the, all, the, all the startups that we're working with. We're working with some phenomenally gifted startups um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to what they're going to do. Uh, and just generally, I'm, I'm happy. I'm feeling happy, uh, kind of unstoppable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and just, uh, yeah, well, excited about lots of things.
1: Um, it's been both enjoyable, but also quite enlightening and uh, extremely insightful to have you on the show. So I'd just like to thank you very much and wow. all the best for the future. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Cheerio.
0: Thanks for listening to another Investor Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, InvestorInvestor.com or via a number of online podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting and insightful content.